0: hear these stories um, from people that we know and people that we love, and we're beginning to realize that these stories are happening to people just like us, um, and that God wants to grab us as well, that God has been seeking us and drawing us in, and um, it's just powerful to be around that, to hear these stories and to know that God is at that same work right here, right now, in this room and in your life when you leave this room. It's powerful. It's powerful. We had a friend last week um, who came in and was, was coming down the sidewalk and was greeted by one of the people at the door and asked what was going on. They told him it was the church, and he came in, and he sent me an email later that evening and said that he accepted Christ. He, he embraced following Jesus um, last week when he came in here, and that's not an accident. That's not an accident. Um, God is at work and he's doing beautiful things. And we are honored and humbled um, to be a part of that. So keep yourself open to that. How is he going to use you? Uh, That person who sent me that email was friends with a couple of the people that are part of this church. And their lives were a major influence on him. He didn't even realize he was coming into their church. Um, But they they had... been a part of of sowing that seed in his life it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing great and summer thank you for breaking the tension with the uh uh-oh that was awesome (laughs) that's hilarious that childlike uh joy and uh innocence that we talked about and wonder that we talked about last week right it's awesome Uh uh-oh is the favorite word of both of my sons they love that word They love to say it right before they intentionally drop something, right? Uh Uh-oh. Daddy's going to have to pick that up off the floor now. All right. Awesome. Cool. So we've been examining these encounter stories through Scripture, uh, through the Gospels, through the life of Jesus, and we've been intentionally looking at the life of Jesus. Through Advent, we anticipated the arrival of Jesus. At Christmas, we celebrated The fact that he was here, the incarnation, God in the flesh living among us. Beautiful thing. At Epiphany, we talked about the idea that what we had been anticipating and the arrival of this Jesus. Now our eyes are being opened. The light is shining. We're able to see and grasp exactly who he is. And now as we walk through the life of Jesus, as we head towards Good Friday, as we head towards Easter... In several weeks away, we're walking through the life of Jesus and we're taking note of these encounter stories and the way that people's lives get turned upside down when they meet this man. It's an incredible thing. And so as we're looking through this, um, we've been examining these stories and and the story we're looking at today is found in Mark chapter 10 and it starts at verse 17. Um, A lot of people refer to this as the story of the rich young man. Okay, and probably maybe even in your Bible, it has that heading uh, right before the passage, the rich young man. Now, take note that this comes right on the heels of the story we talked about last week when Jesus talked about what it means to receive the kingdom. And, and, And people were trying to keep children away from Jesus, and they were angry because parents were bringing children to Jesus. And then Jesus gets angry because people are trying to keep the children away, right? And he's like, no, bring them to me. And Jesus gets angry. It says that Jesus was indignant about that. And and sometimes our anger is a hint into what we are passionate about. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? That's a window into what your heart is most passionate about. And what has God given you a burden to help restore and to help heal in this world? What makes you angry? There's some hint in that of what God is calling you to do, where your passion and where your gifts collide with each other, and how God has shaped you to impact the world, to serve the kingdom, to lead in his church. Think about that. So Jesus gets angry about people trying to be the checkpoints for people, trying to keep people away. Jesus gets angry about this. He says, there are no checkpoints to me. I don't Let people in based on their merit. My grace draws them in. I'm embracing based on my grace and on my love. And it's so interesting that the children have nothing to offer. They have no influence. They have no power, right? And in our culture, influence and power buy you access to things, but not in the kingdom, not in the culture of the kingdom of God. It's an upside down backwards kind of economy. And the currency in this kingdom is the grace of Jesus Christ. And he says, bring them to me, bring them to me. So coming right off the heels of that, we have this story of the rich young man. Um, This is a powerful story for many of us. This is a really difficult story to grasp. And you will see why as we get into it today, starting with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's stop right there for a second. What we're seeing play out here is that the man is coming with a posture of humility towards himself and a posture of honor towards Jesus, right? He realizes that Jesus is... is is special, that he's coming to him, humbling himself before Jesus. He refers to him as good teacher. He falls on his knees before him, and he asks him this cosmic question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to receive the kingdom like we talked about last week. This is the theme that ties these two stories together, what it means to receive the kingdom. What, what must I do for that, he says. What must I do to enjoy the rich reward of a life of right relationship with God? This is the question at hand. Now, they would have understood in this culture and in the Jewish understanding of eternal life that this was a future hope, something beyond this world and beyond this life. But it's more than that. It's something that breaks into this life in this moment. So it's a future hope, but at the same time, it's a present reality. It's that that abundant life that Jesus describes, a true life, a real life, a life that comes from God, a life, the life of God in us, as a matter of fact. This is what we're talking about here. And so he comes to Jesus with this question because he believes Jesus has the answer to it. What must I do to inherit eternal life, to have my, my relationship right with God, to align myself with God? Now, here's the thing. The man comes and and we can tell from his posture, we can tell from his question that he respects Jesus, that he honors Jesus, that he is seeking the wisdom of Jesus and he comes prepared to make some changes in his life. He comes prepared to do what Jesus tells him to do. He is is ready. He thinks Jesus has the answer and he comes prepared to embrace the answer he's going to receive. He is ready to make some changes. We have to understand that Following Jesus equals change. To follow Jesus is to change. Transformation will happen in our lives when we become followers of Jesus Christ. That act of following is a transformation as we are redeemed, as we experience the salvation, as we we put our faith in the grace of Jesus Christ and we are redeemed. To follow Jesus means to change. It means to change. And there's always going to be a challenge for us. When we follow Jesus, we will be challenged to line our lives up with his, to line our hearts up with his. I have a friend named Silas who's a part of our church, so he's one of your friends too, all right? Silas has been coming to church for a little while, and um, this week we were uh, talking with each other. I I gave Silas a call um, to catch up with him, and and I got his voicemail when I called him. And uh, which, I, which, if you ever tried to call me, you probably got my voicemail. So I had it coming, right? Okay. Um, so I called Silas, and I get his voicemail. And I was just stunned at what I heard on his voicemail. All right, here's what it was word for word. He says, hey, this is Silas. I'm making some changes in my life. So if you're calling and I'm not answering... That you might be one of those changes. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of the club, right? That was awesome. I, I just like laughed out loud when I heard. It. I was like, "That is amazing!" All right, that is awesome, incredible. That's the first thing I thought was, "That is the best voicemail I've ever heard in my life." And then the second thing I thought was, "Oh man, am I one of those changes?" <laughs> My bad, Silas. All right, I'll back off, okay? Um, But I love that. It's going to require making some changes in our lives. And sometimes they are very difficult changes, but they're changes that have to be made and that are made not through our own strength, but through the grace of God at work in us. I love Joe's story and the way he told his story here. Just beautiful. The fact that he says, I did not have the faith, but God gave me the faith. God lends us that strength that we don't have in ourselves. It is all his grace. It is all through his grace. We are empowered through his grace to embrace and accept his grace. It's a beautiful thing. It's all his grace. So our lives have to be lined up. And it appears that the man has come prepared to make changes in his life. What is it that I have to do, good teacher, to inherit eternal life? Tell me and I'll do it. Tell me, and I'll do it. Jesus begins to answer him back, and he starts with this. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. This is an interesting answer that he begins here, because it it, it just seems like kind of a, a weird thing that's going on here. Now, what is Jesus doing? Is he backing away from young man's compliment is he backing away from the compliment why do you call me good only god is good is it backing away saying whoa you have gone too far in saying that no no it's not jesus backing away from a compliment it's jesus leaning in to this young man's confession and he says not you've gone too far but he says you are onto something You are on to something. Do you even know what it is that you are on to? Why do you call me good when only God is good? This is not Jesus saying, I'm not good. This is, in fact, Jesus saying, I am God. Why do you call me good when only God is good? Jesus is leaning in to the young man's confession, trying to figure out, what are, do you even realize what it is you are on Opening that up for him, beginning to pinpoint that in his heart and helping him realize just what a defining moment this is in his life. Exactly what kind of encounter he is about to have in his life. So Jesus continues with the answer. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus begins to lay out for him the Ten Commandments, right? This is clearly drawn directly from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's at the heart of the Jewish law. And it's at the heart of what it meant to have a right relationship with God and what it means to have a right relationship with God. Okay, it's at the heart of that. And so Jesus begins to draw from that. And he says, You know the commandments. And then he lists these commands. But something that's really interesting about Jesus listing these commands is even though he's referring to the Ten Commandments, he does not list all ten, does he? How many commandments does Jesus list here? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus lists six of the Ten Commandments. Why is he doing this? What's going on? The Ten Commandments are broken into two pieces. And there are two parts to the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God have to do with our relationship with God, about worshiping God alone, about having no other idols, about honoring the name of God, and about honoring the Sabbath day. Those four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. Now, these six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. Because one of the purest ways that we express our relationship with God is through our relationships with other people. Right? And the New Testament tells us you cannot hate your neighbor and say that you love God. Not possible. Not possible. And this is at the heart of the Ten Commandments, at the heart of the Jewish law, of God's revelation of himself to his people. Right? Really interesting. Really interesting. So why then does Jesus not refer to the first four? Why would he list the six but leave the other four unmentioned think about that question wrestle with that question a little bit try to try to get to the bottom of that and we'll come back to that in just a little bit okay so jesus mentions these commandments now another really interesting thing that's happening here is one of these commandments is different okay jesus says do not defraud he lists that as one of the commandments here's the thing that's not one of the Ten Commandments, okay? I hate to be the guy who stands up and says, Oh, Jesus, um, you got it wrong here, okay? So I won't be that guy, okay? I'm not going to do that. But what's happening here is not a, a mental slip on the part of Jesus. There's not a memorization mistake that he's, that's happening here, right? What's the commandment that he puts here? Like what was in this place? What's the one that's missing? Anybody Anybody know? Don't covet. Exactly. Don't covet. So Jesus exchanges, do not defraud, instead of do not covet. Now, what we know that we're dealing with here, who this young man is, we're not told much about him at all, but we are told, and the whole framework of the story is based on what we know about him, that he was a very wealthy young man. He was a very wealthy young man. And so what we have here. Is not Jesus having this memorization failure here, okay? Instead, Jesus is reclaiming and recasting the heart of this command, do not covet, and cutting right to the heart of this young man. Because most likely, if he would have heard, do not covet, he's like, I don't covet what my neighbors have because I could just go and buy one, okay? That's not something that I really deal with too much. But instead, Jesus puts this spin on it and this twist on it and it gets to the heart of the command. So maybe it's not about him wanting to take what his neighbor has, but maybe it's more about in your dealings with your neighbor, are you freely giving what you should or are you defrauding them? Are you so set on protecting your wealth that you're willing to do that? Maybe it's not about wanting to take what your neighbor has, and having an eye for that, but instead failing to give what you should give and wanting to protect what you have and protect your own wealth. That seems to be what Jesus is getting at instead here. The young man answers back when Jesus says this, and I imagine he was pretty thrilled when he answers this. He says, but I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Yes, I am in. All right. I've done it. This is this is wonderful. And then Jesus speaks up. Now, this is a really important part here. It says there in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now, we've got to get that in our minds before we go on to what is next, because this is the foundation that Jesus builds on for what he says next. This is the root. That, grow, that, that what Jesus says grows out of here. Jesus loved him. So what Jesus says next to him is not to undercut the young man, is not to crush his spirit, okay? It's not to make things too demanding and too difficult for, for him, to make things impossible for him. Jesus says what he says next out of deep love for this young man because he addresses the thing that stands between him and the Father. And he addresses it and he says, I want to remove that so that you can experience the fullness of your relationship with the Father with nothing blocking it. So building off of this statement of Jesus loved him, Jesus says to him this. One thing you lack. You've kept all of the commands. Now there's only one more thing that you Lack, And you can imagine him leaning in thinking, what is it? I'll do it, whatever it is. This is amazing. Just one thing that's keeping me from this eternal life, from inheriting this, what is it? And then Jesus says to him, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Wow. Wow. This is a painful story. This is a painful story because it hits probably all of us. It hits us in a place we don't want to think about. And it challenges us in ways that we don't want to face up to. And we look at this and we think, come on, man. Come on, Jesus. Like, this is way too harsh. This is too demanding. And then you hear somebody standing up with their Bible open and reading this story. And you're like, don't even tell me, all right? Don't even start to tell me today that the requirement for modern day discipleship is to sell everything I have and to give it away. Don't even tell me that. This cannot be the requirement for modern-day discipleship. There's got to be some kind of exchange rate that happens between then and between here, okay? There's no way that that is the requirement for modern-day discipleship. Here's the requirement for modern-day discipleship. To do whatever Jesus tells you to do. The requirement for modern-day discipleship is to follow Jesus, is to obey Jesus, and to do whatever he tells us to do. Now, not all of his disciples were challenged with this. Not everyone that he invited to follow him were challenged with this same kind of thing. But we cannot look at this passage and just brush it off. Jesus is challenging us to face up to this and to face up to the cost of discipleship. And Jesus says to every single one of us, the cost of discipleship is to follow and to obey. And you don't get to determine the bar for what that looks like. You don't get to set the bar for discipleship. Only Jesus does. And we have to obey and do what he tells us to do even when it looks like insanity to the people around us and even when it feels like insanity to us. Obviously, let me just add this in case anyone is wondering and I feel like I need to just add this right now. In check with what scripture tells us, okay? In check with what scripture tells us because I don't want to throw that around lightly and just say, oh, do whatever God tells you to do because people have used that Phrasing to justify some horrible things, okay? I don't mean that. I don't mean that, okay? It has to be lined up with the heart of Scripture. Through Scripture, we have the heart of God communicated to us, okay? So it has to be lined up with that. Checked by the Holy Spirit. Checked by Scripture itself. And it has to line up with that, okay? But here's what does line up with Scripture. Is this. The one thing that Jesus asks for, one thing you lack, he says, the one thing is everything. It's everything. It's to lay ourselves down, to be willing to walk away from everything in order to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. This calls for a reckless love for God above all else, the kind of affection that trumps every other affection, but that gives character to every other affection in our lives. It dictates what those affections look like. And as we surrender our affections to God, and as we place him as our highest affection, then he purifies the other affections in our lives. And he begins to direct the other affections in our lives. And then we can love in the way we were meant to love other people and other things and we can live in the way we were meant to live. This is worship motivated by love. More than religion, more than just belief, worship motivated by love. Worship motivated by love. And at the heart of this is a childlike trust, like we talked about last week. What does it take to receive the kingdom? To be characterized by a childlike trust. And this kind of reckless love, requires that to trust jesus and to give him our everything requires a childlike trust and he calls to us and says remember what it was like before what you own owned you remember what it was like and that's what the heart of the kingdom looks like this is difficult And there's a reason that the road less traveled is the road less traveled. It's difficult. It's difficult. But Jesus says, get back to that. Let me restore that in your life. I think that right now, after this heavy thing we've just talked about, all of us right now need a pep talk. Okay? So we're going to get a pep talk and a glimpse into restoring that childlike nature in our hearts. All right? Let's roll that.